Hey, what's going on? What's good in the hood, everybody? And welcome to episode number 30 of the podcast. Yes, my friends and family, we have spent 30 episodes together, which probably equates to like somewhere to the uh, around 24 hours of content, 24 hours of laughter, 24 hours of hostility, and at least 500 F-bombs. Well, buckle up, ladies and gentlemen, because the journey is far from over. All right, so thank you for tuning in today. Uh, Let's talk about last episode, shall we? I warned people previous to dropping the episode on social media uh, that um, I actually said the words that I was in an extra hostile mood uh, that day, which was Monday, and it translated into the show. And after four people reached out to me in three days with positive feedback and uh, one person saying they didn't like the fact that I wanted to hose down a crusty old bastard, Um, I've come to the official conclusion that, fuck it, I'm going to stay the course of the way I started, Uh, I'm going to say anything I want to about whatever the hell I feel like, because clearly according to the loyal listeners, new and old, that is where I'm at my best And that is the kind of show you guys want to hear. So if I can't land a major sponsorship because my content is too risque, then you know what? So be it. Um, I've always been under the impression that everything happens for a reason. Um, But I will try and keep the F-bombs down to a minimum, not just for the podcast, but also for my well-being in general. Because, I mean, the the F-word, it's kind of trashy and nothing screams white trash more than going to a baby christening at a church and saying out loud in front of the family and the priest hey that's a beautiful fucking dress the baby has on so i'm not saying that did or did not happen but let's just try and keep the cursing down to a minimum unless it's absolutely necessary to the story unfortunately most of my stories it's a necessity to say the f word so we'll we'll play it by ear we'll see how it goes Anyways, let's move on to what I have in store for you today on sort of a landmark episode because not a lot of podcasts get to 30 episodes, a lot of people throw in the towel. But here I am, and I kind of wanted to possibly wait and hold off on this episode, but because today is my two-year anniversary at my new career, yes, today is the day, the official date, um, I thought it only fitting that I explain truthfully and in great detail how and why I exited my old career as a correctional officer. Uh, so this for me is is a touchy subject. And if I was ever going to have, uh, you know, any kind of like a, a psychotic break or a Dr. Phil crying session, it would definitely uh, revolve around this topic. But I've, I've had, I've seen several emails asking me about my exit. And um, I did the interview on the podcast out of New York called Bob's Messcast where he asked me about my exit, and I kind of danced around the question by saying you know, it, it was somewhat of a, a case of self-sabotage. By the way, if you guys haven't listened to that episode, uh, the interview, apparently he's getting good reviews on it, so um, go check it out. It's Bob's Messcast. Um, if you want, if you want a, a link to it, I can hook you up, so get in touch with me. So yeah, I kind of danced around it, and I said it was self-sabotage, and it totally was self-sabotage, but there's a lot more to the story. So today... Um, I thought I'd explain how it went down, and I will tell you right now, guys, um, if I have to pause because I've fallen onto the floor and I'm in the fetal position sucking my thumb, 
that please just give me a minute to collect myself and we will power on from there, okay? Uh, but before we get there, before I take your panties off, ladies, um, I've got to provide you just a little foreplay, right? Something to, you know, tickle your fancy, something to, you know, get you going, a little something to wet your whistle, so to speak. So let's start with today's youth doing online at homeschooling, shall we? Uh, I don't know how relevant this is uh, of a topic to everyone who's listening, but as I've stated on multiple occasions, uh, I do have a 14-year-old daughter who is in high school in grade 9. Uh, I've got to be blunt here. This online school is a goddamn joke. Uh, I've had my daughter's teacher call me yesterday to tell me that she was seven assignments behind. Um, of course, my first instinct was to you know go home and take her cell phone out of her hands and throw it onto the street because... Being in a pandemic means there isn't a lot to do other than schoolwork. So there are no real excuses to not handing in assignments and doing your homework. But that initial instinct quickly disappeared when the, the teacher followed it up with a statement, which was, don't worry, she still gets full marks no matter what. Um, she's got to hand those assignments in at some point, though. I didn't know what to say. I just kind of paused and I... You know, I, I blew him off after that. Okay, thanks, man. I'll call you later. You know, I'll get in touch with you later via email, blah, blah, blah. Um, so here's the thing, guys. If she's going to get full marks regardless, then what motivation does she have to complete them on time? And because all of these kids have already been made aware by the faculty in the school that failing this year is not an option, um, that they're all getting the, in quotation marks, pandemic pass, then how are we supposed to parent them and teach them any kind of responsibility? And sure enough, when I got home, I went up to her room to give her shit for not doing any schoolwork. And, you know, she said, she looks at me and she says, it doesn't matter. We, we all pass anyways. Again, I was frozen in time. And I, I, then I tried to argue that, well, that's not the point. It's about responsibility and working hard no matter what. And she just stared at me like I was speaking North Korean. Um, you know, keep in mind um, that this is the same girl who just yesterday sent me a text message while I was in the shower to ask me how long I was going to be in the shower because she needed to shower. So she saw me walk into the bathroom with my shower stuff. I told her I was jumping in the shower, yet she thinks at some point I was going to exit the shower to answer her text message. Or maybe she thinks I'm texting in the shower. I don't understand. I don't know what she was thinking. But I do know these kids have to go back to school in September, like now. Like, like they should, two weeks left in June, get them into school. Get, do something. I don't give a fuck if there's 17 new strains of COVID or fucking SARS or, or H1N1 or the bird flu comes back and hits us again. Get these kids into a goddamn classroom or we're going to have an entire graduating class of professional Walmart greeters and no-frills shopping cart monkeys on our hands for, you know, in, in the next three years when they graduate, and then they will live at home forever. Stupid fucking high school, fucking kids, fucking social media. All right, moving on. Anyways, Jeff Bezos, everybody. Jeff Bezos, everybody's favorite ex-Amazon trillionaire, has announced he's going to space in his own self-built rocket. Of course he is, right? I wonder if he ordered any of the rocket parts off Amazon Prime. I, I wonder, you know, 24 hours, you get the nuclear generator or fucking whatever powers a rocket. I don't know. And Anyway, so th this fuckstick is going to spend God knows how much money to go to space. Elon Musk is trying to colonize Mars. 
Yet the homeless population in California, where at least Bezos lives, I don't know where Musk lives, but I know Bezos is in California, um, Los Angeles specifically, um, the homeless problem is so bad that they've taken over like, I think it's six city blocks and claimed it as their like own homeless campground. And they're slowly creeping even further out. So by the end of this podcast, they'll probably have seven or eight blocks of Los Angeles all to themselves. And no one knows what to do, and it's getting worse. And I figure most of these people are probably young kids, you know, who had stars in their eyes, and they moved to Hollywood with 800 bucks in their wallets, and they thought they'd find a nice little, you know, studio apartment, and, you know, they'd get a job as a waiter, and keep their uh, their headshots on them, so uh, when a big Hollywood producer come to eat at the restaurant, um, they could kind of drop the headshot with their main course and beg for a role on their next, uh, you know, movie or sitcom or whatever, and then boom, instant stardom, and, you know, here come the $10 million uh, movie roles, right? Instead, they probably got raped by Harvey Weinstein or some other scumbucket like him, they got hooked on drugs, and now they're homeless, and they're giving hand jobs for oxies. So Elon Musk and Jeff Bezos could wipe out this entire problem, no worries, without just a snap of their fingers, and, and, and give all of these people a fresh start, or at the very least, give these hobos an opportunity to stand up and dust themselves off, and possibly um, you know, get clean and sober, and, and start a new life. And they'd be fucking heroes. Bezos and Musk would be fucking heroes. Because not only are they helping their fellow men and their fellow women, but they're also helping to clean up the City of Angels, right? Because it not it's not the City of Angels anymore. Apparently, it's like the City of Hobos. But instead, let's piss away all of our money to go outer space so we can either ruin space like we destroyed this goddamn planet or run into... St- fucking crazy aliens who are going to come down and rape us all and then claim this planet for themselves. I don't know, man. I I think it's a pretty choice. It's either help the hobos or get raped and killed by aliens. Seems like a no-brainer to me, right? All right, so those are going to be my headlines for the day because my story is kind of long and I don't want to drag this podcast out for too long. But before I go into the story, I've got to hit you with these social media plugs, which is at Twitter at podcast underscore hostile, where I'm still four followers away from 200. Jesus Christ, help me out here, folks. On Instagram, I'm at host.enviro.pod. Facebook, I'm Jay Cowell. TikTok, at the hostile environment pod, where my videos are getting lots of likes, and I'm still not getting any followers. I don't know how this shit works, but I do know how the email works, because that's how I'm talking to you guys j.hostile.environment at gmail.com. Don't forget download, subscribe, do all that shit that comes with podcasting, and um, I really appreciate it. So I'll give you a great big hug when I see ya. So let's let's get into the story, but let's begin at, um, let's begin at the very beginning. So I went to college for two years. Uh, I studied corrections, which included some psych courses and human behavior, Shit like that. From uh, so I was in college from 2002 to 2004, where I graduated. Uh, then I finally I had to wait a while. I think I waited about nine months. Then I finally got the interview. Um, after clearing that hurdle, then I had to go to Corrections College for six weeks, where I had to stay overnight from Monday to Friday. It was in Burlington, Ontario, so that's about an hour away, an hour and a bit. And I got to come home on the weekends, right? So I did that for six weeks. 
Um, after graduating, um, I got hired in 2006 at Mimico Correctional Center, which was a medium security facility, like I've told you guys before. Um, I spent three years there, almost four actually, three, three and a half, closer to four. Um, and I had some amazing times there. I worked with a, a bunch of people who were super awesome, like Earl, Earl, who I still love to this day. I still hold him very dear to my heart. The guy's just a superhuman being. Uh, Roman, Roman's awesome. I think Roman listens to the podcast. What's up, buddy? Uh, Mark, who is a super awesome guy. Terrence and Tommy. I mean, the list goes on and on. The thing was, though, it was a weekend jail. So I did get one shift during the week from Monday to Thursday, but I had to work every Friday, Saturday, Sunday for almost four years. So I didn't get to go camping. I didn't get to go on trips. I didn't uh, get to have a lot of, of overnight parties or I could drink till four in the morning and play cards because I had to be at work. And because I was new and I was intimidated, I didn't take any sick days, so I just kept working. So if I was hungover, I'd force myself to go in, but I went in. Um, it wasn't as bad as it sounds uh, they, um, because the people that I worked with were such a quality bunch of officers and we had some fun. I mean, we had fun. Sometimes too much fun, to be honest with you, but you know, it, it was all good. Um, we used to have like Madden tournaments on our uh, portable PlayStation. So if you guys remember the, the PlayStations, the handheld, we, we all had one. And we would all congregate on night shift and we'd have Madden tournaments. Um, we had like potlucks for when we had to work on holidays, like Christmas and New Year's and stuff like that. We'd all bring in a dish and we'd all have dinner together um, in front of the inmates, which pissed them off all kinds because they're eating shit and we're eating like turkey dinners and shit like that. And it was, it was good times. Um, and, and we pulled a boatload of pranks on each other. Um, now that I think of it, I usually started most of the pranks, but everyone was on board. I mean, I don't want to say that I was the, the clown, but I kind of was, but at the same time, I took my job very seriously, but, and I, I knew where the, when the time for fun was, and I knew where the time for, uh, seriousness was. So I always drew a line in the sand there. Um, one time I even went to the grocery store when I was on duty, I took my break, I fired over the grocery store, I spent like 30 bucks on materials and I made this guy, Chris, uh, we were going back and forth for pranks. I made his brand new Acura Infinity into a giant banana split sundae. I'm talking, I got vanilla ice cream, I got syrup, cherries, bananas, sprinkles, everything. I, I went all out. And then I got on the, the radio that goes over the loud, not the loudspeaker, goes over every radio in the institution. So any, any officer carrying a radio would have heard. And I said, you know, something like, you know, if anyone wasn't interested... Chris's car has now been made into an ice cream sundae on wheels, and it's in the parking lot. So immediately, almost immediately after that, I said that, the door opens, and all of these officers start firing out, laughing, and taking pictures. The one thing I didn't count on for this prank was the birds eating all of the shit off his car, and the talons were going to scratch his car. So I also had to pay for Chris to get an emergency car wash on his brake. But it was a great prank, and everyone loved it, and... I'm pretty sure that's never been done before. But those were literally some of the best days of my career. But also, like I said earlier, working every weekend and you know, also it being a medium security facility, I wanted weekends off and I wanted more action. That's why I got into corrections. I wanted, I wanted to, to get down. I wanted to, to really, really get down. Um, I wanted to be like the TV show Oz. I don't know if any of you guys remember the TV show Oz from like 25 years ago. It was my favorite show of all time, still is. Uh, but it's why I chose corrections in the first place. Uh, so uh, after almost four years, I put in for a transfer to the Don Jail 
and I kind of forced my way out. Um, Don Jail was notoriously the worst jail in all of Toronto, easily, by far. And I got there eventually. Uh, it didn't take too long, actually. And I got my weekends off here and there, obviously. I, didn't work, I, I had to work some weekends, just like everyone else. And um, I got the action that I wanted, and I got way more than I anticipated as well. But again, I worked in, with some amazing people like Sarah, Dave, George, Derek, uh, uh, Scott, Steph, and so many more. Another great crew of people. Uh, some of you guys listen to the podcast as well. So shout out. I haven't seen you guys in a long time. But hey, I hope you guys are all well and safe. Uh, so we had we had such a great group of people that we actually started a hockey team. And I joined the hockey team. And at 31 years old, I learned how to skate. <laughs> uh, I didn't. I'd only put on a pair of skates maybe four times in my life before this. Um, and then you know I didn't skate that well, but I skated. I didn't know how to stop, but I still don't. Um, but I, I played hockey for like four years with these guys, and it was awesome, man. It was. Those are memories that I'll never forget. It, it was. It was truly very special, and it meant, it meant a lot to me to be on that team. Um, our hockey trips to Niagara Falls were unreal and so much fun. Being up all night and drinking and then having to skate at 9 in the morning, go hard, watching guys puke on the bench because they're hungover, and then after the game, you know, firing over to the Niagara Falls buffet where a whole hockey team who's hungover and now super hungry just destroys the buffet and the toilets. So, uh, good times. Uh, the thing is about the, well, not the thing is, a thing about the dawn was I worked a lot of night shifts. Um, I chose to work a lot of night shifts because... Um, different reasons, but I worked 7 p.m. until 7 a.m., and during those nights, um, I would watch movies, Um, everybody would, everyone had a portable DVD player, in between doing our security rounds, once we're, once every 25 to 30 minutes, you'd get up and walk around the whole floor that you were assigned to, make sure that nobody's hanging, make sure no one's screaming or stabbed or whatever, remember, there was no rape in these jails, so it was all violence and suicide and drug overdoses. And uh, I even, on Night Shift, I even started writing a book, which would eventually become the Hostile Environment Podcast you hear today. So that's a lot of, a lot of how I started this was from those notes I made in, uh, I want to say 2009, 2008. But sadly, the Don Jail had to be decommissioned because it was old and fucking disgustingly dirty, but it was a great place to work. And we were all moving to the new Super Jail, uh, a top-of-the-line maximum security facility that was brand new and ironically built on the same ground as the first jail I started at Mimico uh, but they tore that down to build this fucking huge massive super prison so this new place was a shit show from day one whoever was in charge of what the, the they were called the transition team it was a complete they were a complete fucking buffoon it was a complete disaster because they not only closed down our jail, the Dawn, but they also closed down the West Detention Center at the same time. And then they threw in um, both of these jails into one building at the same time when no one knew each other. And I wouldn't say that the two jails had beef, but there was some bad blood there. Uh, and all of a sudden, they're all working together out of nowhere. And then to top it all off, they throw in uh, one or two graduating classes of brand new rookies. So tempers flared. The, the senior staff picked on the rookies and, you know, and then, and then um, uh, the Dawn versus the West kind of thing was, was going on in between that. So tempers were flaring and, you know, egos were hurt and, you know, it's just a bunch of shit that never should have happened. It could have been planned better. 
But after a while, I guess people started to know each other and we started to get used to each other and I guess we got over it. But the first few months were kind of rough and it created a negative workplace and, and most of the people they put in charge, by the way, the, 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 what they called um, uh, captains, white shirts, were just as lost. And we were, it, it was pretty evident that they were lost and you could see it in their eyes. So everybody was bitter and everybody was frustrated and nobody wanted to be there. It was just, everyone was just sad and unhappy. Uh, I want to say that we moved into that building in December or January of 2015. And we didn't admit inmates until March of 2016. So we were also going to be the first correctional officers in the province, the provincial system, kind of, to be issued uh, what's called PPE or personal protective equipment to be worn inside the facility when working with inmates. We were finally getting a pair of our own handcuffs, a small canister of pepper foam, and a radio to be worn at all times so that everyone had a radio. Whereas other jails I worked at, they would run out of radios because they didn't have enough because the, the the funding, right? So we moved into this new super jail and we sat around for over three months learning the computer systems, the buttons, opening the doors and da-da-da-da-da, uh, learning how the cameras work and you know blah, 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 and some other basic training. But at the end of the day, uh, we, it was a lot of it was a waste of time. And then came the day that they told us we're officially getting inmates on, we'll say March 12th or whatever it was. And a couple days before that, we're getting issued our, our PPE that only belongs to us. So we keep it in our lockers and never leaves the institution. And my name gets called. So there's a big lineup and my name gets called and you hear Cowell. And I walked up and they said, yeah, sorry, Cowell, you know, we're sold out and uh, we got nothing to give you. And I was like, I said, you're out of handcuffs. You're out of pepper spray. And they're like, yeah, we got nothing left. We're done. So I can't work without weapons because that's the rule. That's the deal the union made is you can't work in front of inmates without weapons. So they fought to get the weapons. They're not going to throw me in there without weapons now because, you know, they fought for this, right? So what happens now? Where do I go? What do I do? Well, they stick me in a control room, opening doors by myself every day for 12 hours um, uh, for three months, basically. So 12 hours a shift for three months. I absolutely... Uh, t despised, hated my job. I hated going to work knowing that from the time I walk into that jail, I'm going to be bored to tears by myself for 12 hours with zero human contact. And I was working mostly overnights and the jail was so poorly run, like the staffing was so poorly put together that sometimes I wouldn't get a piss break for like five or six hours. So I'd have to go half a shift when I couldn't even take a piss. Nor could I get my food because you weren't allowed to bring food on the unit. So you're literally sitting there in the dark staring at screens. And I was a smoker at that time, so that didn't help either. So, you know, I was kind of nick fitting. So you can't piss, you can't eat, you can't smoke, you can't leave the room, you can't talk to anybody. So that, that was my shift for 12 hours for almost three months. So I was angry and I was kind of depressed and, you know, I'm fighting to stay awake in this room. Like you can't, you can't even have the lights on because if you turn the lights on, it wakes up the inmates because the glow from behind you goes down to the floor below you. So it, it, it was, it, you'd light up the floor kind of, right? So the inmates didn't want the lights on. So it was so dark. I was so bored. So eventually I ended up bringing in the portable DVD player, which I had used since my days at my first jail at Mimico uh, on night shifts. You know, we would all get together and watch a movie. And I so sure enough, there I am. I'm sitting in my empty control room in the dark overnight, 
um, you know, just watching a movie by myself. And this went on for, like I said, almost three months. But I was also, because I was so bored and so confrontational, um, I started to argue with supervisors. My attitude was probably very piss poor. Um, I was clearly acting out. I'm not going to lie. I, I knew I was doing it too. Um, and I guess I must have crossed the wrong person or, or made an enemy somewhere along the line. Because on my day off, I was driving to Walmart with my kid and I got a call from an answer on speakerphone as I'm driving and it, uh, it was somebody saying, you know, can you come in tomorrow? And it was, tomorrow was also another day off. So I said, no, no, I, I, I don't want your overtime. Thanks anyway. And the guy goes, no, I don't think you understand. You are being ordered to come in for a meeting and you have to also bring a union rep. And uh, I, like, I, I pulled over in the Walmart parking lot and I, okay, so I know I'm in trouble. I get that. Something's going on. But what could I possibly have done wrong? I haven't worked with any inmates so in this jail so far. So, you know, having a use of force or an inmate assault or an accusation against me wasn't going to happen because I had no contact. My attendance was good, even though I didn't want to go to work. Uh, I went in no matter what. So that was off the list. So, you know, what did I do to get a meeting and what did I, why did I need a union rep to defend me? So I showed up for the meeting the next day. Um, and they, I sit down and there's a big giant envelope on the table. And as soon as we sit down, the lady immediately slides the, the envelope over and uh, I open it up and it's photos of, they've taken of me from behind me. Um, so the camera in the control room, which was up above my, uh, my head, which basically they had cameras staring at the screens that I was supposed to be opening doors and all that shit. Um, and it had pictures of me with my feet up on the desk, you know, watching my movies, uh, messing around on my phone, reading a newspaper, and, you know, they ask, you know, is this you? And, well, they've got me dead to rights, right? So, I mean, you, you can clearly tell it's me. Um, which, by the way, when you look at a camera uh, angle like that, you don't notice the, the kind of the bald spot you've got in the back of your head. That was kind of alarming. Uh, so, like I said, they've, they've got me dead to rights. So, of course, I admit. And I was like, yeah, I'm sorry. Yeah, that's me. Uh, you know, I apologize. Because obviously I'm well aware that using electronic devices in an institution is technically a huge no-no. But it's also a rule that's never really been enforced. Since my first day in corrections, no one ever enforced the rule. I mean, if you were playing on your phone or your PlayStation having a Madden tournament or watching a movie and a supervisor was coming through and you knew, you opened the desk drawer and you threw away whatever item you had whether you're in the middle of a game or not, and you threw it in the drawer and closed the drawer, and you did it out of respect. Not because you were scared of getting in trouble. You did it out of respect because the person coming around more than likely was a senior officer who'd been there for 20 years, whatever, and they they were the ones that paved the way for you. So you did it out of respect. And I did it every single time at every single jail I was at. I mean, they all knew phones were being used, but as long as you weren't a jerk-off about it, it was basically like no harm, no foul. I mean, the captains were doing it too. They were playing on their phones. Everyone was doing it, but you have to respect each other. That was the that was the underlying rule, right? Um, so after I admit to everything, they said, okay, um, as of this moment, you are suspended pending an investigation. And then I was like, what do you mean investigation? Investigation into what? You've got the pictures. You know it's me. I just admitted that it's me. And I just apologized. So how about you just, you know, skip all the shit, give me my slap on the dick, maybe an unpaid suspension of three days or something along those lines, and that's all, I'll move on, right? But, you know, they piled on all these other allegations as well. 
uh, saying, well, it doesn't matter what they said, but stuff that wasn't involved, the electronic device, other shit that was just horse shit. Basically, what they were doing is they were throwing a lot of shit at the wall and hoping that anything would stick. So the more allegations they have against you, the more you have to fight, and the worse you look in, in front of an arbitrator, because instead of just the, you violated the electronic device policy, it was, he did this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong, this wrong. You know, so it looks bad. The problem is the ministry has to prove those allegations. So that's that's the sticking point, right? So um, they sent me home, and as as soon as I walked out the door, it was pretty clear that somebody was hunting me and wanted me to get fucked over. So I, I knew I'd cross somebody somewhere, but I didn't know who. I didn't know what was going on. I was so I was so lost, right? So I'm suspended with pay from. Uh, I want to say, I know it was June and I want to say it was August when I got called back in and they finally gave me my punishment. So I knew it was D-Day. I walked in. I don't want to say I was confident, but I was kind of cocky because I figured, okay, just give me my suspension. Let me get back to work, even though I hated my job at the time. Um, But I sat down and the meeting took less than five minutes because as soon as I sat down, they just said, we find you guilty of on every allegation, which was bullshit and you're fired. Uh, To say I was shocked would be the understatement of the goddamn century. And look, guys, honestly, I knew. I knew I fucked up. I knew I was pushing people's buttons. But I had a clean record. I'd never been in trouble before. And now all of a sudden, the first time I get in front of a firing squad, I'm dead. They fire me, right? So I get escorted out of the building And when I walk outside the doors, I lit up a smoke immediately. My hand was shaking. I didn't know what the hell I was going to tell my wife. And I looked up at the union rep and I said, what the fuck, man? Because he told me this wasn't going to be very serious. He was, you know, he didn't think this was going to be like this. He goes, "Uh, you know, don't worry, man. We're going to grieve it. And I said, well, I fucking hope so. And we did grieve it. But from the day I filed my grievance to the first day my case was heard in front of an arbitrator, which was almost a full calendar year, by the way, um, I kind of spiraled into a very, very dark place. I was working with my buddy at his own pool company. Um, I also had to get a part-time job at a hospital downtown. That was usually, for the most part, I was working overnight shifts there as well. But I absolutely hated that hospital job. It was terrible. They treated you like shit. Um, and, And I... I'm not going to lie, I, I was drinking probably five or six nights a week. You know, the nights when I wasn't working, I, I was getting bombed. I was sitting in the garage by myself. And truthfully, guys, honestly, sometimes I would literally cry. Like, literally cry. Because I was so depressed. And the thought of losing my career and losing my house. Because once you're fired and that's it. And, you, you know, you're not making that kind of money anymore. That house is, that house is gone. Poof, gone. And then having to tell my kids that, you know, their dad's a a fucking failure as a father and as a provider. And at that time, my little one was in competitive gymnastics and she was killing it. But that would have had to have stopped because I I can't afford $400 a month for, 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 uh, for gymnastics. And then also when she had to go on her meets and stuff. You know, we'd have to stay overnight in hotel rooms and I'd, you know, I'd have to get the day off, which I, you know, when I was in corrections, that was paid, but you know, it wouldn't work like that anymore. So it just, it wasn't going to happen. I couldn't have made it happen. It was just, it was unaffordable. 
But finally, my court date happened, right? So finally, you know, I was like, thank God it's finally happening. And um, me and my union rep and my uh, union appointed lawyer, her name is Jane, um, we tried to, we walked in the first day and we tried to make a deal to avoid a trial by saying, you know, like he'll take a 15 day suspension right now. And then they were like, nope. And then we tried to up it and, you know, it, they just weren't having it. They weren't willing to bargain. They refused to even like budge a little bit and they just wanted to go to war. But after my two, first two court dates, uh, nothing really got accomplished on either side. We were kind of just spinning around in circles. It was a complete waste of time. And I'm working at the hospital and my union rep calls me. And he says, hey, Jay, I got great news, man. And he was super happy. And he says, Jay, the ministry wants to make a deal. You won. It's over. And I was like, Mark, are you serious? And he's like, yeah, man, uh, it, you just got to sign a, a contract. We're going we're gonna to get you back in. And you, you can probably be back in within like the next three weeks. And it was like it was like the clouds opened up. I took a huge breath of fresh air. I stopped. And I was so I, – I had to take the moment in. I was just – I to say I was happy is just it's an understatement too, right? I, I was just I was jacked, right? And uh, you know I, I immediately stopped what I was doing at the hospital and I walked downstairs and I quit on the spot. I just said, "Yep, yeah, I'm done. I'm quit. I'm gone." Um, I knew I could work with my buddy for, at his pool business for the next couple of weeks until I, you know, shit got cleared up. So I was fine for cash. So I just quit on the spot. But that just shows you how much I hated that job. And it's very satisfying when you can actually go down to a job you hate and just say you quit and walk out the door. It's very satisfying. Anyways, um, when we all got in the same room together finally, so the arbitrator, their the ministry's lawyer, my lawyer, me, my union rep, um, the deal was that I would have an unpaid 20-day suspension on my record and I'd have to sign what's called a last chance agreement, which I was very unaware of. But me, last chance agreement meaning... If I was caught within the next two years, so the, this stays on your record for two years, if I was caught on the job with any kind of electronic device, you know, a DVD player, a phone, a pager, a vibrator, whatever, um, I'd be fired again. No questions asked, just gone. And I'm saying to myself, yeah, I, of course I can do that. I'm not a fucking idiot. I'll just leave my phone in my locker and I won't bring a DVD player to work. No problem. So of course I signed it. I took the deal. And part of the also deal was they wanted to give me a fresh start. So they transferred me to the East Detention Center. Um, and I thought everything was going to be good. And I thought everything was going to be great. And it was for a long time. For, for not a long time, but for a time, it was very good. I thought everything was good. And I thought I, I was clear. And this was all going to be behind me. But here's the caveat to that story. That part of the story is what my awesome Union, union lawyer with her fucking dyke haircut failed to make me understand and I mean maybe it's my fault for not reading the entire contract but it was like 35 pages and I just asked her the gist of it and she gave me the gist of it but what she didn't give me the gist of was the last chance agreement didn't just mean if I was caught on duty with my phone I'm gone it also meant if anything happens at all regardless of how insignificant it is, anything that requires me to get written up, I'm I'm done, I'm toast, and I'm gone. It was that easy. So I'm at the East Detention Center for a year and nine months, literally three months away from having all of this shit off my record, back to square one, no worries, you know, weight off my shoulders. 
and then a miscommunication happens between myself and a brand new officer literally out of the college. It's either his first or second real shift as a correctional officer. And that miscommunication caused us to leave a cell door unlocked overnight. Uh, well, not for the entire night. They end up catching these at, at around two or three in the morning. So from uh, from nine thirty at or sorry uh, nine o'clock at night until about two in the morning, I think it was the cell door was unlocked. So it, to to make you guys understand, it's just a cell door. It's not the door where inmates could possibly escape and get out or anything like that. It's a door to their day area where they watch TV and they shower. Um, and they can't get out or anything like that unless an officer opens the, that door and then, you know, then they can obviously get out, right? But um, nevertheless, it is a rule violation. And that rule violation obviously means that I'm required discipline and that requires a, 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 a write-up. It was going to be, it wasn't even going to be a suspension. It was going to be a write-up just saying this happened on such and such a day. Um, it'll never happen again. Uh, and if it does, then you might be looking at suspension. That was what it was going to be. Unfortunately, that write-up uh, triggered the clause in the last chance agreement. And when it went to HR, um, they saw that I had this this on file. And I was fired for the second time. So uh, we grieved it again. And we went through the entire trial. We went through the whole thing. We had you know a video of the incident of, of me trying to communicate with the rookie and we had statements and we had witnesses and we had, we, we, it was just like law and order minus the killing of the rape. And at the end of the day, you know, the rookie misunderstood my phrasing because the way I was talking to him, unfortunately was in a manner or a language that only a seasoned officer would have understood. So when I was telling him to finish up inside to the, to the seasoned staff, to, to the staff who had experience, that means I didn't finish locking up please take over while I do another chore or another job, right? Uh, because that's what happened. I got interrupted and I had to do something else and I needed the, the rookie to come in and, and, and finish locking up. But to this new kid, I guess, he didn't understand. And, you know, that, like I said, I guess that's my mistake. It's on me. But the kid at the trial was also too scared to admit that I told him to finish up locking up and he lied. And he said it never happened. I never said those words to him. And that was the end of me. That was the end of my 12 years as a correctional officer right there. Um, and that officer now, who is a coward, is now on the police force. So I can't wait until they find out what a spineless, gutless cocksucker this guy is. Because he could have saved my career by just admitting that this conversation took place. But he denied it. So that was the end of me. So the point is, um, like I said at the top of the show... Today is my two-year anniversary at my new job, which I am not only extremely grateful to have, but I'm also happy working there. I, 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 I'm happy. Um, I'm not getting stabbed. I'm not getting uh, chased around. I'm not having guys trying to, to, to fuck with me constantly. Um, I'm not seeing guys' heads getting cracked open. I'm not seeing guys getting hung. I'm not seeing gang wars. I'm not seeing guys who haven't showered in a month and a half and then having to search them. So the job that I have now, it pays well. It's got a pension. And my pension from correction carries over. So it all worked out. 
But my shitty union lawyer, here's the thing, my shitty union lawyer throughout the second uh, firing, uh, the second court case, whatever you want to call it, she kept pushing me to quit. She kept saying me to, you know, to fold. She told me, you know, if this goes to a decision and I, and I lose, I'd never find a great job again. And I'd have a permanent black mark on my name forever and, and no one would ever hire me. And... And I kept telling her, I'm like, look, this isn't this isn't a guilt or innocence. Like, I didn't do like it was an accident. I tried to make her understand. I don't think she gave a fuck at the end of the day. Uh, it's not in my DNA to quit. So especially when I didn't know, or sorry, especially when I knew that I didn't do anything on purpose. It, it was just a miscommunication, and shit happens. And um, I, I wasn't ready to just lose my throw it all away. Unfortunately, at the end of the day, I did lose my appeal. Um, but at least I didn't quit, man. I kept fighting to the end. I went down swinging. Um, and, and when you have your own lawyer prodding you to throw in the towel, and I'm just like, are you fucking serious? I mean, even if you think, or even if you knew I was a thousand percent guilty and I'm going to lose, you're supposed to have my best interests in mind. Not try and convince me, well, things could go either way, so, you know, why take the chance? You might as well just resign now. But you know what? Here I am today. Uh, I'm in a great job, and I'm fucking happy. So fuck you, union lawyer Jane, you cunt. And that's the end of that story, guys. So, uh, yeah, that was my end. 12 years as a correctional officer, and that's it. So, like I said, it wasn't an easy story for me to tell because I still have some pain and resentment towards how everything went down, but at some point, you got to pull your big boy pants up, right? And that's what I'm doing. So it's been it's been a couple years now, so i got to stop crying about it and man the fuck up. So with that, ladies and gentlemen, we are going to be done here for the day. Um, I really want you to enjoy the weekend. I haven't checked the weather because I'm working, so it doesn't really matter to me what it is. But if it is nice, uh, hit the the beer store or the liquor store multiple times. And if you can, remember, um, no matter what happens, Jay loves you. And uh, have an amazing weekend. Talk to you on Monday. And until then, bye for now.